up, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Main Event Heat Podcast. I am your host, Rob Weathers. Happy Memorial Day to everybody here in the States. This episode is coming out a few hours late because we just had AEW's big double or nothing pay-per-view take place last night. Pay-per-view did not end until about 1240 Eastern time, so I definitely was not about to stay up and record the episode after that. So, episode's coming out a little bit later today, but that is exactly what we are talking about. AEW Double or Nothing, the fourth iteration of this pay-per-view taking place in Las Vegas, Nevada at T-Mobile Arena. From what I understand, I believe that they actually said this on commentary, the biggest crowd that AEW has worked in front of. I think it was like 14,000 people at the T-Mobile Arena, which is which is very big for them. You know, absolutely congratulations to AEW. That's that's huge. That's huge news. We have got an awful lot to talk about. Way too much to talk about, and I want to address that right out of the gate. 13 matches is way too fucking much for a pay-per-view card. You know, even even Revolution, which Revolution had 12 Three of them were on the pre-show. We had one pre-show match, and that was utter bullshit. We'll talk about the reasoning why Tony Khan said that the show was was laid out the way that it was. We'll talk about that a little bit later, and I'll talk about how I think that that's a bullshit reason. But let's go ahead and get started. We have got a lot to cover. I'm going to blaze through a lot of these matches because there are a few of them that we're going to do some deep dives into. Opening up with the pre-show, we had Hook Housen. Hook and Danhausen taking on Smart Mark, Sterling, and Tony Nese. The grade of this match is not really going to have any weight on the overall grade of the show, but I gave it a C. Hookhausen gets the win. The only note that I really took is that Danhausen needs to get pants that fit because they were just constantly falling down. Uh, this was like sub 10 minutes. They didn't do very much. And it was funny because, you know, working here on the, the Georgia indie scene, this is the kind of match that I see every fucking weekend. I was at a show this past weekend for a company called UCW. I was helping them out with their music. And and literally, I've seen this match on that show. I've seen this match on Larry Otto shows. Like, this is just, this is a prototypical Southeast indie match. It really is. And it's really funny because I'm pretty sure nobody in this match is even from the Southeast. But yeah, it, it's a C. It happened. It's there. The crowd in the arena loved it. And that's why they did it. We move on to the main show and we open up with controversy. As I'm sure a lot of you that follow AEW closely know, MJF got into seemingly a little bit of hot water over the weekend whenever he no-showed the Double or Nothing Fan Fest and got on a plane to, I guess, go home. I don't fucking know. I don't know what the story is here, but he was there for the match with Wardlow. Uh, Before we talk about the match, let's talk about this situation specifically, because I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want it to sully the match whenever we talk about what, what happened finally happening. A lot of people have been comparing this to the Sasha Banks and Naomi walkout, all this stuff with, with MJF, because he is reportedly not very happy with his contract and his position with AEW and has been potentially looking at leaving. I don't know if I would go so far as to say that this is the same thing as Sasha and Naomi, because Sasha and Naomi were saddled with terrible booking for a very long time, and their title reign that they were promised was going to mean something meant jack shit. And like I said, I think it was on last week's episode, I am not a huge fan of walkouts personally, but they were standing up for themselves and the the poor creative decisions that have been made at their expense, which I... 100% can get behind that part at least but I also said if WWE decides to fire them or do whatever the fuck they want they can because they're the employer this situation I think is a little bit different because a we don't have the amount of details that we have with Sasha and Naomi and b 
MJF actually has been booked really well. Like it, it, it all kind of screams like he's, he's not too much different from his character because, you know, his character is obviously like the biggest prick in AEW and he constantly thinks he's getting a, a, a bad shake at things, even though he's really not. And that's kind of what it sounds like in real life. And I think that's why a lot of fans have been thinking that this is leaning more towards being a work than it being a shoot because this just really seems in character for, for MJF. But yeah, it's weird. It's weird regardless. Um, I don't know the whole situation with the plane thing. It could have just been, hey, Tony, I've got to go home for a few hours and handle up on something, but I'll be back for the pay-per-view. I've got no fucking idea because there's no real details. Um, if he literally is throwing a fit and was trying to hold this match hostage, then no, literally fuck him. That's that's a horrible thing to do because this match is more about Wardlow than it is about him. And, and the thing is, MJF did great in the build for this. Wardlow did great in the build for this. But if that's not the case, then, you know, we kind of have to hold judgment, right? Right. You know, it's it's weird. Like I said, a lot of people have been, oh, keep that same energy that you have for Sasha and Naomi. We kind of we, we were kind of told right out of the gate what happened there. Like there were already reports that that were stating what the fuck was going on there. This has just been, hey, we think something's happening until we really know. But my stance is if he literally was trying to hijack this match or, or trying to to fuck over AEW and or Wardlow for his own gain, then he's an asshole for that. But if that's not the case whatsoever, and if there's just more to this story that we have no fucking idea, then, you know, be that as it may. We'll, we'll see what happens. But to get into the actual match, not a whole lot happened here before the Powerbomb Symphony. It was, it was just... It was just them kind of dicking around. MJF kept powdering out of the ring, which, you know, his actions kind of made it seem like he definitely is shoot upset with this company. But they do the big powerbomb symphony. Uh, Wardlow hits him with 10 powerbombs. Personally, I was over it after five. I was, I don't, I don't know how you can chant for more after five. That definitely looked like the kind of match that you have for a guy that is leaving your territory on bad terms because it, it really was, hey, MJF, it's fine if you leave, but uh, we're going to beat the living dog shit out of you on the way out. That's really what it looked like to me. So I would not be surprised if MJF actually is gone after this. But yes, Wardlow got the pin after his 10th successful powerbomb. I give the match a C. And it was a fun way to start the show for the live audience. After that, we have got a very unpopular opinion for me. This is a match that should not have fucking happened. The Hardy Boys versus the Young Bucks. It was very irritating to me that in the promos leading up to this, and even all even all the promos that they had on the pre-show, they're acting like this is the first time that these two have wrestled. Like they were talking about the dream match of the last several decades or whatever the fuck. These two wrestled in Ring of Honor. It wasn't until the match got started and they got Caprice Coleman on commentary, who is from Ring of Honor and also was trained by the Hardy Boys, that they finally addressed, oh yeah, these guys actually wrestled twice, so this isn't the fucking dream match that we're making it out to be. Bucks get an Elvis intro before their theme music hits and then come out with some new inspired by Elvis gear. Obviously, whenever they debuted at the first Double or Nothing, they had some Elvis gear. This was a little more intricate, so I, I guess I like the theme that they're going for. Hardy Boys come out, and this has been a theme every time that I've seen Jeff on AEW TV, and this is a question that I, I am genuinely asking all of you listeners, if if you have a take on this, I actually really want to hear it and make sure that I'm not the only one. Is it just me or is Jeff 
always gassed right out of the gate. Like, just coming down the fucking entranceway. Like, he, like the little fucking throwing his hands in the air taunt thing that he does whenever he comes out. The little fucking dance. Like, he's he's gassed doing that. Like, he doesn't... He does that super slow. And just everything about Jeff before, during, and after the match is so slow. I understand these guys are, are in their 40s. I get it. But it's like, something just always seems off with Jeff. It is best case scenario his best days are behind him, but I don't know, man. Like I don't know if it's if it's a lingering injury. God forbid none of us I, I know all of our minds go there, but I don't want to even begin to think that there's substance abuse problems. But whatever it is, man, like it makes me not want to see them. Like Matt, I think, is 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 good for the company because he he outwardly does so much for younger talent. But Jeff, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I wasn't super pumped whenever he signed with AEW. And then now that he's been there, like, I, I know that everybody says that there's still dream match potential, but I, I don't really think it's there. I felt zero emotional investment into this match until we got to the last few minutes. The last few minutes was actually very good, but there was just so much, like I said, it was so slow paced and it was so much waiting around for Jeff to do his offense. It was, it was an awful lot of that. Jeff took so goddamn long to set up his spots. It, it was so wild. The Hardys go over with the Twist of Fate Swanton combo, and I, I really hate to say this, you know, because I grew up on the Hardy Boys. They started in the Fed around the time that I started watching the Fed, but I, I really hope that their swan song is right around the corner because I, I think it, it kind of, as a fan of them, it, it kind of sucks watching these matches because... It's it's such a far cry from the not even just the Hardys of old, but since they the last time they wrestled the Young Bucks, go watch them in Ladder War in Ring of Honor. I think it was 2017. Go watch that before you watch this match. That was actually very good. Just a like I, like just five years ago, the Hardys were still putting on great matches, and this just. I don't know, man. Like, I, I gave it a pretty generous score. I gave it a B- minus because I did like the last few minutes, the whole last couple of sequences that led into the finish I did really enjoy. But the other, what was it, 10, 15 minutes leading up to it, I, I was not emotionally invested in it whatsoever. Uh, it's, it's like I said, it's a better recommendation to tell you to go watch Ladder War between the two of these. But this, it was it was serviceable if you are a fan of these teams. After that, we have got the TBS title, Jade Cargill versus Anna Jay. Jim Ross brings up Anna Jay's lack of experience as she's coming out to the ring. I'm pretty sure she fucking started training in this business before Jade did. She definitely made her debut before Jade did. I don't know what the fuck Jim's talking about there, what notes he got there, but uh, I'm pretty sure Anna Jay is the more experienced of the two. There is a lot of interference on behalf of Jade Cargill. The baddies come out. Mark Sterling comes out. Uh, Jonathan Hungry winds up coming out on behalf of Anna to even the odds. And then leading up to the finish, Stokely Hathaway comes out and distracts Anna Jay. Jade hits her finish from the top rope. And we have now established, I guess, that Stokely Hathaway is going to be taking over the role of Jade's manager from Smart Mark Sterling. And I think that is a significantly better pairing for Jade. And the reason is this, because Mark Sterling, obviously he's playing the lawyer character. A lawyer manager does work very well whenever you have that person managing a chicken shit heel. 
Jade Cargill's not a chicken shit heel. She has proven to be a fighting champion. She is she is stronger than every single person she gets in the ring with. She manhandles everybody, or one handles, I guess, everybody that she gets in the ring with. A bruiser like Jade Cargill should not have a chicken shit heel for a manager. They should have somebody that can pump them up, somebody that builds them up, not somebody that threatens lawsuits, right? And I think Stokely Hathaway is really fucking good at that. I did not see much of what he was doing with NXT because I I just haven't really watched NXT for the last couple of years. But I am familiar with Stokely. I've seen a little bit of what he did before he got to the Fed. So I I do believe that this is probably going to wind up being a significantly better fitting for her. I even said whenever I talked about my top 10 wrestlers to watch this year and I put Jade on that list, I said Jade absolutely needs a mouthpiece. And one of the reasons is because her promos are so inconsistent. Like even on the pre-show for this, she had a promo where one second she's talking about how she's this bad bitch and can't nobody touch her and she's going to fuck up everybody in division and then right after that she's talking about how hard she worked and and, and how much she had to grind to get this and that's that's a babyface promo like you're mixing in a heel promo and a babyface promo just either say you're going to fuck everybody up or say that you're a hard worker. Don't do both. Just pick one. And that's that's an inexperienced thing, you know. And and I see that kind of stuff all the time. You know, where people just, they, they've got so much that they want to say that they don't realize that some of the stuff that they're saying contradicts the other stuff. So I do absolutely think Jade needs a manager, and I think that Stokely is probably going to be perfect for her. You've got the baddies in there with Jade Cargill. You've got Stokely Hathaway in there, and they're squaring up on Anna Jay. Chris Statlander comes out to help. They realize they need at least one more to even the odds, and we get another huge debut during this match. We just saw Stokely Hathaway debut, but we get Athena, the former Ember Moon, making her way out to the ring. I I pop for this. I I think she's great. I think she's such a fantastic wrestler. It, It was really surprising to me that it took this long. If I'm being honest with you, I think that having an absolute stud of a performer like Athena in this women's division should help create some very compelling matches in this division. Because obviously, if you're a fan of AEW, you know that the biggest criticism people have had is the booking of the women's division. If you've got somebody like Athena in there, fight for her and, and she will fight for you. I'm telling you right now, she... She can help in so many ways elevate that division, and I'm really looking forward to that. Was not expecting to get two debuts following this match, but here we are. The match wasn't bad itself, but you could tell just by watching it, these two have spent a lot of time in the gym training together because that's what this match looked like. This match just looked like a big training montage between the two. Like it was all spots that they have probably gone over together God knows how many times. Even then, still wasn't the smoothest match. But I gave it a C plus. Uh, it, the really the the big shining moment here is is everything that happened after the finish. After that, we finally get the blow off between House of Black and Death Triangle. It feels like this thing has been building for years, even though I know it hasn't. Baby Penta making his second appearance here on the pod. Baby Penta accompanying Death Triangle to the ring. This match is PWG as fuck. They had Rick Knox officiating it. I'm surprised we didn't get an old school Rick Knox dive to the outside. This match was so fucking PWG. Last time I checked, now I haven't kept up with PWG in a long time, but last time I checked, Brody and and Malachi were the PWG tag team champions. I don't know if they still are, but you know. A lot of this makes a lot of sense to me. 
one of the big spots is Brody undershot a tope to the outside and he bumped the apron instead of the guys that he was trying to hit. But that's really my only complaint about the match. Like everything else, it was if you love that PWG hard hitting fast paced super lucha style then this was a really fucking good match going into the finish pock dick kicks malachi black the lights go out and julia hart comes out to stop pock from doing the black arrow she spits some mist in his face and then he falls down black mass for the win for the most part I wasn't crazy about that finish. You know, I, I understand why it happened. They've been teasing this whole Julia Hart thing for a long time. Um, it, it, but just the match itself was so good that I thought as a finish, it was a little bit of a letdown. But literally, just the finish I wasn't crazy about, and then Brody fucking ass bumping on the apron on the way out. Those were the only two real problems I have with this match. Outside of that, this was very entertaining, and one of my favorite matches on the show, I give it a B+. After that, we get the two Owens Cup final matches, starting with Adam Cole versus Samoa Joe. I have never been more disappointed in a wrestler choosing to not wear tribute gear than I was with Samoa Joe. I had originally picked Joe and Ruby to win this because I felt like this is the kind of thing that the babyfaces should win because I knew it was going to be a babyface ceremony following, and it absolutely was, and I stand by what I said that the babyfaces should have won. But whenever you've got Cole comes out, with the fucking the pink and black gear and then later you see the same thing with Britt Baker you're just telling me who's gonna fucking win that's exactly what you're doing you have just told me who's gonna win Ruby did have an Owen Hart quote on the back of her jacket but it wasn't enough but anyway let's stick with this match Mike Kyoto is the third man in the ring I absolutely love that Kyoto did get to work with Owen so it, it is amazing getting to see him as a part of this tournament Bobby Fish interferes late into the match and that distracts Joe long enough for Adam Cole to hit the last shot and get the win. Honestly, this match, I could have used a little bit more. It wasn't very long. Out of all the matches that we could have cut short, this is one that I, I would have liked a little bit more from because I do really, really love Samoa Joe and Adam Cole. But, you know, for what we got, it was fine. I, I started to think in hindsight after we got these two these two Owen Finals matches, these probably should have been on like should have been on Rampage or Dynamite or, or one of those other special events that they do. But it, it was a perfectly fine match. I give it a B. Going directly after that, we get the other Owen Final between Britt Baker and Ruby Soho. Britt comes out and she's got fucking punk ass Rich Ward playing her to the ring. <laughs> Rich Ward uh, is is the guitar player, one of the guitar players for Fozzie plays uh, plays Britt's theme as she comes out to the ring. A little a little quick Rich Ward story for you guys. I was just thinking about this whenever I saw it. So Rich Ward actually does the sound for the folks over here at Southern Honor Wrestling in Canton, Georgia. And that was the building, the action building in Canton is what we use for the first Zicky Dice Outlandish Paradise show. I remember being at the venue the day before the show and we're, we're taping up the ropes or, or to be clear, Stunt, Medusa and Zicky are taping up the ropes. I'm, I'm not. But they've only got two rolls of pink tape. Zicky wanted pink ropes throughout the whole show for all three ropes. But we only had enough for, for two ropes. Rich Ward just shows up hanging out. And at, at some point, Zicky asks him, hey, you don't by chance have any have any tape that we could use on the ring ropes, do you? And he he did. And he had a like this this neon green tape that we wound up putting on the middle ropes. 
And Zicky was against it. All of us were like, no, nah, dude, that's going to look really, really good. And we and we did. And it looked very good on camera, in all honesty. So if you watch that first Outlandish Paradise show and you were curious about the, the rope tape decision, it was thank thank you, Rich Ward. You know, we uh, I don't know what we would have done if, if we didn't have the, the green tape to go on that middle rope. But anyway, after that, we've got Ruby Soho making her entrance to Rancid playing the Ruby Soho song, which was super, super fucking cool. And even though, you know, Brick comes out, she's got the fucking Owen-inspired gear on, getting that big fucking entrance that Ruby got made me think, I don't know, maybe Ruby might actually still win this one. But it would have just been too perfect, the power couple winning the tournament. And that's exactly what we've got. Ruby puts on a not very good-looking sharpshooter, and after a little bit of reversing, Britt wins with a roll-up. Like I said, was not a very big fan of how the gear gave away the winners. But other than that, just like the first match, this was a very solid match. I also gave it a B. Martha Hart comes out to grant the two belts to the two winners. It was a great moment. It's so cool that we're getting to talk about Owen Hart on TV again. Someone had a hot mic during the ceremony, and I could hear him coughing. I don't know if Tony Schiavone forgot to turn his mic off or what. But but other than that, you know, it was really cool. I know that I saw some people complaining that it went a little bit too long, and Martha was taking her dear sweet time. Look, everything that's happened to that that poor woman, you know, and, and the fact that that she finally, after all this time, is is allowing her husband's name to be a part of a professional wrestling show again. This is huge, guys. She could have taken up an hour if she fucking wanted to, and I would have been okay with it. Because, you know, just like I said, after everything that happened with Owen's death, she wanted nothing to do with professional wrestling. She definitely wanted nothing to do with the Fed. That's why you haven't had any, any Owen action figures, or Owen hasn't been in any of the video games or any of that shit since his passing, because she wanted nothing to do with that company, and rightfully so. Tony Khan comes around and convinces her that, hey, we will do your husband's memory right, and he has the idea for this tournament and everything, and, and look, it's like I said, it's just so cool that, that we get this. It's so cool that Owen gets to be a part of our lives again, and I love that. After that, we've got American Top Team, Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, and Paige Van Zant taking on Sammy Guevara, Ty Conti, and Kazarian. It looks like Ty Nara and Sammy got Cody's elevator in the divorce, so that was nice. Uh, they come out dressed up like a couple of fairy tale assholes. I don't know what the reasoning for that was. The big story here is that this is Paige Van Zant's first match, and the moves that she did were done very well. You could tell she's been in the ring training. I believe Gangrel has been working with her quite a lot. Gangrel is a fantastic trainer. So, you know, the moves were good. And as far as a debut goes, could have been so much worse. The only problem really was her charisma or or really lack thereof. She was very awkward in between spots. She was constantly either holding her arms up or pointing at her opponent, like just, just every other second, it seems. I don't know if that's, if that, I guess that's not just a Ronda Rousey thing. Like, Ronda was really bad about the pointing shit whenever she debuted. But yeah, uh, she just constantly, she, every other spot, she, she hits a spot, throws her arms in the air, hits another spot, points at her opponent. Like, she just would not stop. Her charisma is god awful. But 
she definitely showed that she has potential. She should also probably consider some different gear because before the match even started, she was tugging at her top. I think she was scared that was going to come up at some point. And then obviously all throughout the match in between pointing in the air and fucking doing moves, she's constantly tugging at her top. So she should probably consider different gear if she wants to keep doing this as well. But, you know, the match was fine. Scorpio wins with a TKO. Sammy and Kaz can no longer challenge for Scorpio's TNT title, which Scorpio also got a new belt recently. I'm not a huge fan that we keep cycling out the belt for all these different TNT champions. It's it's really odd to me. Uh, honestly, I think whenever, and I think I've said this before on the show, whenever we got the white belt for Miro, I think that should have fucking stayed because that belt was killer. But it's, it's, it's obviously not an ugly belt, the purple and gold. He's a Lakers fan. I get it. But it's just like, fuck, Christ sakes, do we have to keep cycling out the belt? Jesus. Uh, it was during this match that I noticed some cameraman was standing outside covered head to toe. And I don't think I had even seen very many shots coming from his vantage point. I thought it was a wrestler that was disguised and was going to be doing a run-in later. Uh, I wrote, let's see if this pays off. Uh, spoiler alert, it didn't. I guess just some guy figured he wanted to cover his fucking face. I don't know. He was the one guy on the crew that did that. After that, we have got O'Reilly versus Darby Allen. Darby has got some new face paint and a skirt. Uh, I did not watch any of the build for this match, but I can say for certain that this match probably should not have been on the show because this card is already way too big. This is the kind of match that would be perfect as a Rampage headliner. Like this, and it's not to discredit either one of these. I love both Kyle O'Reilly and Darby Allen, but this match is like, this is baby, this paper is too fucking long. Why the fuck did this need to be here? And it definitely didn't help that I did not see any of the build for this personally. These two did work really, really fucking stiff. Kyle O'Reilly winds up winning with a diving knee drop. I liked this match, but it definitely got me thinking that Darby desperately needs to distance himself for Sting because it's done nothing for either one of them. You know, it's been so long. It's been like a year and a half now that these two have been together and it has done nothing for Darby and it's really done nothing for Sting. Sting should be going around the locker room elevating everybody that he possibly can and I feel like they're both spinning their wheels and it's a waste of Sting's time because obviously we're not going to have him for much longer and it's a waste of Darby. Darby's time because he has got some of the, the the largest potential on this entire roster and we need to move on and this match actually like made me remember because it's the first time Darby's been away from Sting in a long time it really made me remember how much I enjoy Darby Allen like I said the match was good I didn't hate the match I just don't think it should have been on the show because the show was already too big but I gave it a B after that we have got the women's title between Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb I like both of these performers I think they are both very good in the ring. But some people just don't vibe together very well, and I, I think that that's the case for these two. This entire feud has been pretty cringe. The promo segments have not been very good. I do blame a little bit of that on booking because I think that booking kind of overexposed the two of them whenever it came to their promo games because neither one of them are known to be good promos. But just none of this. These these two just do not gel together. They don't have great chemistry together. And it's such a shame because individually they're both very good performers. I had to take a lap during this point because I think we're like three hours into this fucking show, a little over three hours, whatever it was. I had to take a lap around the house so I didn't catch the entire match but Thunder winds up winning with a driver at the end I, I, and I don't know man just like I feel like this match did not have the kind of heat that they thought it had or that they intended for it to have like it just it was a nothing match for me 
but I know that they tried to make it seem like it wasn't, that they tried to make it seem like it was a big deal. And I do applaud AEW for trying, because obviously they've been getting, like I said earlier, buried for how they booked their women's division. But yeah, I, I think that just the fact that these two just really don't seem to have any chemistry together, I think that just kind of ruined everything. But I, I, I gave it a C. It was okay, I guess. After that, we have got Anarchy in the Arena, the Jericho Appreciation Society versus John Moxley, Brian Danielson, Eddie Kingston, and Proud and Powerful. Justin Roberts gets on the mic and says, ladies and gentlemen, shit's about to hit the fan. I wrote, well, it fucking better. Uh, guess what passed me? It absolutely did. I did not think I was going to enjoy this because I was not a fan of the stadium stampede matches. This was fucking crazy. And I, it's, Let's go over the entrances real quick because I'm not going to be able to talk a lot about the actual match. First off, Jericho Appreciate Society makes their entrances dressed up like the Backstreet Boys from the I Want It That Way video. They need to change this fucking song. When you are a douche heel stable, you do not need to have a song that the fans want to sing. I'm thankful that 2.0 realized this and they're constantly yelling at the fans to get them to stop singing. But they really need to change songs. And if it really means so much to Jericho to have a Fozzie song as his entrance, Fozzie has plenty of bad songs to choose from. So, like, he's got a library there. I'm not trying to bash on Fozzie. I like Fozzie. There's actually a, a lot of stuff on their first couple of records that I'm a really big fan of. The Way I Am, Nameless, Faceless, Enemy, those are some of my favorite Fozzie songs. But there's a lot that took place after that that's not very good that they could choose from. Their newest single, I Still Burn, sucks. Fucking terrible song. They should pick that because nobody's going to want to sing along to that piece of shit. Anyway, I digress. I don't want to turn this into a Fozzie bashing thing. Speaking of songs that don't fit, here comes Mox and Company. Usually I'm down with licensed music, but Mox's old song that he had, his old AEW thing, just fit him so much better than Wild Thing. Like, Wild Thing is... Even though the titles does not suggest this, it is too tame for John Moxley. It really is. And they let it play on repeat. They play it out completely the first time, and they play it again until Jericho hits the fake soundboard to turn it off. And uh, that part I hated. I was like, turn the fucking song off. I don't need to keep hearing this song. But everything after that was so fucking wild and fun. I'm I'm not going to be able to do a true spot for spot on this match just because it was so fucking all over the place, but there were a couple of things that I loved. One of the things is that Brian Danielson spent a bulk of the match in the sectioned off seats completely away from the fans. The introvert in me felt that shit. That was that was one of my favorite things that Danielson's like, I'm not doing this shit around people. Get the fuck out of here. I, I, dude, like, I fucking feel that. I have never felt like I vibed with Brian Danielson on this kind of wavelength before in my life. And I feel like me and him are closer now as people. Coming up towards the end of the match, Kingston comes out with some gasoline, which in this economy is a bold choice. This must definitely be a blood feud. Kingston tries to burn Y2J and catches Brian Danielson in the crosshairs. Brian subsequently knocks out Eddie Kingston. Jericho Appreciation Society win with an assisted Walls of Jericho on Brian Danielson. This match was all over the place, but it was so much fun. And it literally, like the beginning, I was like, ah, this is going to be fucking stupid with the fucking song playing the whole time. But then as it just gone, like this match literally every other minute got better and better and better. 
and I I highly recommend you go watch this. I, I'm pretty sure Jim Ross said the whole, it was bowling shoe ugly. It really was. It was absolutely bowling shoe ugly. I fucking loved it. My favorite match of the night, I give it an A. After that, we get an Andrade El Idolo promo where he says that he wants to dissolve the AFO because they fucking suck, <laughs> which pop me. He's like, these guys are losers. Fuck these guys. I'm not doing this anymore. He says he has a new business partner and Roche walks in. Oh my fucking God. Los Ingobernables is back. That is exactly how I wrote it in my notes. I fucking popped so big whenever Roche El Toro Blanco came walking in. Uh, this is huge, guys. Los Ingobernables, like it, it, Rouge La Sombra. This is a huge fucking deal, man. I, uh, I'm, I pop big for this, and I would love. I really hope that whenever they do Forbidden Door uh, next month, obviously, if if you've if you've heard the name Los Ingobernables, you've probably heard of Los Ingobernables de Japón. I really hope that we get a Los Ingobernables versus Los Ingobernables de Japón showdown at this Forbidden Door pay-per-view. That would be so fucking cool. I had no idea that that's something that could even be a possibility. But yeah, like this this popped me. I'm a big fan of Roosh. Love Andrade. Cannot wait to see what they do. I hope this just means more Andrade on my TV. I'm really cool with that. After that, we get a Men of the Year promo where Sky says that they are closing the book on Sammy's dumbass. Scorpio puts out an open challenge and Dante Martin walks in and says, just because Sammy can't challenge for the belt doesn't mean I can't. Yeah, no shit, kid. That's how that fucking works. What? At no point did they ever suggest that you couldn't fucking challenge for the belt, dumbass. I don't fucking, please, please tell me. Please tell me that Dante did not come up with that line himself. Please tell me that just some stupid writer gave him that line because I, I don't want to believe that he walked up and said that on his own accord. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Oh, Sammy can't challenge, but that doesn't mean I can't. Yeah, neither can me. I can challenge too if I want to. Dipshit, that's how it fucking works. Anyway, so it looks like we've got a setup for the next TNT title feud. After that, we've got the tag team title match, Jurassic Express versus Team Taz versus Baskin the Swerve. I don't know if that's actually what they're calling themselves, but it's what. I want to call them. I never understood why Christian is with the jungle fucks. And I really wish he would do something of substance again really soon because kind of like the same thing with sting and Darby Christian being there does not help them. And it's definitely not helping Christian. Same thing with Sting. I don't know how much longer we've got Christian and I really like to see him do some shit of substance. I really like jungle express Jurassic express Jurassic fucks, whatever their name is. Um, these guys are AWOGs, but I haven't been super invested in their title reign. I think a lot of it just has to do with, it's just so like, why is, why is Christian there? I think that's taken me out of it so much, but it, it, it was a decently fun match. You know, I do enjoy everybody in this match as workers, but just like I said, it's been hard for me to be invested in this title reign, even though I want to, because I, I do believe that more, AEW originals should be holding these belts for now. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But yeah, it's, I just wasn't super invested in it. Plus, it's fucking almost midnight at this point. I'm tired. But the match itself was fine. I do really enjoy watching these guys work. The Jungle Fucks retained by hitting the Jurassic Express finisher. Uh, the match had some good Lucha things, but it was more just a victim of timing and card placement, but that's not their fault, really. I gave it a B. After that, let's wrap this fucking show up. We have got the world title match between Hangman Page and CM Punk. It is already after midnight. This better be a 10-minute match. Well past me, it was not. It was not a 10-minute match at all. Punk, in my opinion, 
should not be anywhere near a title match and should strictly be doing quote-unquote dream matches until his contract runs up. I do not think that special attractions should hold titles. I consider CM Punk a special attraction, just like I consider Sting a special attraction. These guys should not be anywhere near titles. Put them up against guys that you could only dream of them having matches with. That's why we call them dream matches. Punk is in his mid-40s. He is not as good as he used to be. I'd even argue that he was never as good as everybody thought that he was. He is obviously one of the best talkers in the business, but he also really comes off to be like one of the biggest douchebags in the business. I've never met Punk. I, I really hate making judgments like that about people, but just the stuff that he posts on social media and just the way that he just goes out of his way to be a dick, it just, it, it really is unappealing to me as a person. I try to, I've talked obviously on this show quite a lot that I try to be positive about so many things, especially whenever I talk about wrestling. Punk is probably the most pessimistic person in the wrestling industry, so I just do not gel with this guy whatsoever. Match goes on for a half an hour. I'm dozing off throughout the match, but I wake up just enough time to see the finishing sequence where Hangman teases a belt shot to Punk after a ref bump, but Punk begs him not to hit him because he's a pussy. So Hangman puts the belt down, goes for a buckshot Larry, and gets countered into a GTS, and then the wrong man wins. Punk cries like a pussy, B-. minus. I was not fucking into this, man. Like, Hangman's title run was too short. It should have went a year. It really should have. Like, this company, seemingly, like, since day one, the idea was we were going to put the company on this guy's fucking back. And his whole title reign has been kind of lackluster. He got, I remember him feuding with Cole. That was his one pay-per-view match where he defended the title was against Adam Cole. And I remember him having a Texas death match against Archer. Did he fucking do anything else? I know he had a couple of matches with Brian Danielson. That was solid. But like, but like did anything else of substance happen in Hangman's fucking reign? I, I mean, I personally think he should have got the belt sooner than he did. I, th I think that he probably was going to get it sooner, but he went on paternity leave. I'm sure that had something to do with it. But this whole fucking thing, man, I don't know. Just, I feel like they fucking fumbled with Hangman so bad. I feel like he got done dirty in this whole thing. And, and just putting that belt on Punk, I believe, is such a gigantic waste of time. Because I can understand putting the belt on Punk if you want to elevate somebody else, another AEW original, but it's, it's fucking hangman's time. 2022 should be the year of hangman page. And I, I just really feel like they dropped the ball on this. I give the match a B minus. I did watch a couple of highlights of some of the stuff that I missed. It's not a bad match in any way, shape or form, but it's just, it's just so disappointing. Such a letdown. It was a bummer ending of the night. I'm not going to lie to you, but honestly, as far as the whole show goes, there were no really inherently bad matches, and there was a few actually really, really good ones, and that was the biggest pro that I could say about the show altogether, is that worst case scenario, your match was alright, and if that's your worst case scenario, it's a good deal. The worst grade that I gave out on the show was a C. And it was that was all shit that happened at the front of the show. So it seemingly got, for the most part, got better throughout the night. And absolutely give them applause for that. Problem is, is that there was just a bummer ending and the show was way too fucking long. Now, from what I understand, I was told this last night, Tony Khan said the reason that the show was formatted the way that it was was because he didn't want the main event to start until after the NBA game ended. I can tell you this right now, Tony, there isn't going to be that much of an overlap 
between people that are watching a $50 wrestling pay-per-view and people that are watching free NBA. I can tell you that right now. Not that much of an overlap. And for the fans that there is an overlap, they figured out a way to watch both. I was talking to people last night that were watching both. We have not only televisions, but also computers, tablets, and smartphones now, Tony. We can watch like six fucking things at once if we want. It, it, the world is our oyster. We can do whatever the fuck we want in 2022. You're not going to believe this. We don't fucking need to postpone a fucking main event and make this a four and a half hour long main card just so you can wait for the basketball game to get over. Were you watching the basketball game in the back? Is that why you wanted to do this? Because you knew you need to be more proactive in the main event. You sly son of a bitch, Tony. That's fucked up of you. I can't believe you did that to us. But outside of that negativity, like I said, a lot of good matches, worst case scenario, all right matches. But there were some bangers. I fucking love the anarchy in the arena. That was my big high spot for the night. I think right after that, I would put the House of Black versus Death Triangle up there. Those are the two matches that I suggest you go out of your way to watch if you haven't seen them already. All in all, I give AEW Double or Nothing live from the T-Mobile Arena a B. And I think that that's, considering how fucking let down I was after the ending, I think that's a very generous grade. What did you guys think of this year's Double or Nothing pay-per-view? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Do you think Punk should not be anywhere near the fucking AEW world title just like I do? Email me at maineventheat at yahoo.com and tell me all about it because I would love to hear your opinions, especially if they're the same as mine. Overall, though, I know that, you know, I, I, I kind of sound like a little bit of a bummer as we got towards the end of the show. But uh, overall, though, I did enjoy the show. It was way too long. You can't fucking argue that. It was way too goddamn long. I was too fucking tired. But there was a lot of fun to be had. There was a lot of really good moments, and I did enjoy it, and I hope you guys did too. Before we wrap up, talk about what I've got going on in my own little world of professional wrestling out here in Georgia. I just worked for a company called UCW this past weekend, helped them out with music. Uh, thank you, Zicky, for putting in a good word for me on that one. I appreciate you, Bubba. I don't know what I'd do without you. This weekend, I normally would be doing IWN because we do run every other Saturday, but there's a little bit of overlap this week, and I will be working with Lariato on the Impact Plus app. We have got the Titan, Adam Schur, Braun Strowman appearing. He was appearing, then he wasn't appearing. Now it looks like he is appearing again. Last time I checked, he was supposed to be in England having a match against Alistair Overeem on that day. I don't know if that got canceled or what the fuck happened but uh he's back on lariato so we've got that we've also got ec3 we've got the zombie princess jimmy jacobs we've got heath we've got john schuyler we've got names on names on names so if you are going to be anywhere near dublin georgia on june 4th come check out lariato pro wrestling guild it's always a good time and if you're going to be anywhere near hampton georgia please go check out iwm main event wrestling underground i i know the boys are going to have a great show uh, I don't know if they're going to need me to do post-show commentary on that or not, but I, I have already told them that I will do that if that is what they need from me. I do hate missing an IWN show because those guys have been so good to me since I started with that promotion, but it's one of those things whenever I, I, I first kind of signed on with them, I made it very clear that you know Lariato will take a lot of priority for me because if it wasn't for Doc Gallows, I wouldn't be here right now. I, I would not... I definitely would not be a part of the wrestling industry. I, I, I think I can confidently say I would not be if it was for Doc Gallus. So I owe a lot to him. And it, for some reason, means a lot to him that I'm at this show. So, 
that's it is what it is. But I am looking forward to being back with IWN again in a couple of weeks. The next time that I am appearing with them should be on June 18th live at the Fight Factory in Hampton, Georgia. And then we, of course, have our big show coming up on July 23rd, where I've already told you guys the road dog Jesse James is going to be coming in and doing commentary with me. Cannot wait to get there. So those are all taking place in uh, Hampton, Georgia is the Underground Fight Factory. The big show July 23rd will be in Thomaston, Georgia at the Civic Center. Get your tickets now. They are available on Eventbrite. And I will keep you guys updated on any other big shows that I've got coming up. This this so far, uh, this year, 2022, uh, has been very, very interesting for my professional wrestling career we are halfway through the year I said that I wanted to work at least 24 shows because I worked about a dozen shows last year I said I wanted to do 24 shows this year we're on track I I have steadily done like at least two shows a month since the beginning of the year so we're definitely on track I'm very very happy with the direction that my career is going right now everything is coming up millhouse so far and thank all of you for listening to me and and being a part of that journey and thank you so much for supporting this podcast it it really means a lot to me the show has been doing very well numbers wise I am in the process of talking to a couple of sponsors right now to potentially put some some really fun ads on the show I know that people don't like ads but I promise these will be fun if we do get them uh and it's that that's always good news you know getting getting ad revenue is always good news that means you're doing something right and that means that somebody's willing to pay you to put their product on your show and that's just it's huge and i wouldn't be able to do that without you guys so thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of main event heat and every other week's episode of main event heat that you've listened to whether you're a new fan or you're an og from last summer thank you so much i i I wouldn't be able to do it without you guys like i said earlier if you have any questions concerns feedback whatever you've got you can send me an email at main event heat at yahoo.com if you would like to follow me on social media or you can even send your questions on social media if you would like you can do that by finding at Sweet Sexy Rob on Instagram and Twitter. If you would like to support the podcast, the best way to do that is by picking up a shirt over at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Rob Weathers. And once again, thanks for hanging out. (laughs) 